Welcome to the Chronify Podcast. This is Ben Miller. Today's episode is about the essential nature of creativity in finding fulfilling work. Before we get to that, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe. And if you're downright loving it, leave a review. That's a great way to show the algo that this is something worth sharing. Now let's get to the episode. Today's episode is titled, From Cog to Creative. When I lived in Manhattan, there was a large residential tower being constructed outside my window. I got to witness it growing up, and it made me think. Seeing a bunch of people just like me, though honestly their skills were much more practical than mine at that point, assembling a skyscraper floor by floor made me conscious of the fact that in the real world, things don't snap together like Legos. In the real world, we've got to make do with analog parts. When you're dealing with bits, things can snap together in a just-so fashion. When you're dealing with atoms, not so much. Don't get me wrong, there was plenty on that tower that was prefabricated and designed to be installed in a specific place. But the reality of what that construction crew was able to accomplish was immense and in many places required judgment exercised by the builders, using parts that were not designed with that specific tower in mind. In our modern education system, we're prepared for life in a way that tacitly suggests that the world is made out of Legos. In grade school, we complete worksheets where there's one right answer. In middle school, we move on to multiple-choice tests that can be graded by a machine. In high school, we take courses that are cleanly separated from one another. If you want to talk about psychology, that's first period. But for math, you need to wait until the end of the day. Even in college, the problem sets of the most difficult course I ever took, real analysis for the record, started with some assumptions or axioms and set out to prove a theorem, and the proof was objectively and verifiably correct or incorrect. With this kind of a backdrop, who wouldn't wind up with the perception that questions have clear answers that come from a specific and non-overlapping domain that relates to the subject matter at hand? Then the real world hits. Many of us desperately cling to the illusion of a world that falls into neat little buckets. When we leave the academy and the world rushes at us with its bumpy interconnectivity, sensory overload, and misalignments of incentives, many of us are overwhelmed. Were our textbooks lying to us all along? The broad-scale and interdisciplinary pursuit of intellectual holism is relegated to weekend reading or late-night discussions with close friends. Almost all of us who land jobs during this time of life are expected to put in our time, learn the ropes, and before too long to become an expert in the narrow domain to which we're assigned within a corporation. In a sense, we move from one cartoon to another from worksheets to multiple choice to distinct subjects to objectively verifiable problems to solve, to narrowly circumscribed jobs where the whole is nowhere near visible. At those first jobs, we're lucky if we get to a point where we're high-output cogs in high-performance machines. But were we made to be cogs? Hold on there, buddy. What's all this made-to stuff you're talking about? The made-to to which I'm referring here requires no allegiance to a higher power and no particular worldview. It alludes to existing in a way that makes us feel the satisfaction that normally accompanies a job well done. I've never hunted a mammoth, but I'm willing to bet that if I were running around the plains spear in hand and took down one of those behemoths for food by myself, I would feel a heck of a lot like it was what I was made to do. No mammoths were harmed in the recording of this episode. 
the further our work is abstracted from these types of experiences of doing something truly useful, the more alienated we feel. I'm not saying we need to return to nature and put flowers in our hair, or in my case, tucked neatly behind my ears, but I am saying we are wired in a way that makes us feel good when we create something useful or perform a useful task. The harder it is to convince ourselves that we're playing such a role, the harder it is to be satisfied with our work. Corporations are beautiful things. Please keep listening. No, they should not be permitted to get away with doing things that hurt people. Real people and other life forms are what matter at the end of the day. But corporations are an extremely convenient vehicle for cooperation among humans. By engaging in this collective exercise in imagination and willing into existence a mythical entity, we can align our incentives and, in a sense, reach toward our full capabilities as humans. Gone are the days when a single gentleman scientist with a private lab can move the ball meaningfully in terms of scientific breakthroughs. To achieve, we must organize. That's where one of the most overused buzzwords in business comes in. Synergy. This word refers to when a group of things is worth more than the sum of its parts. By specializing, we unlock incredible value where there wasn't such value when everyone was making their own shoes and farming their own vegetables. But what happens when the specialization goes too far? In the beginning stages of a high-power job, it's thrilling to watch yourself grow into a slate of responsibilities that not long ago seemed like a stretch for seven people to handle. Somewhere between there and mastery of your craft, there comes a point of disillusionment. Many of us feel called to something more, but don't have any frame of reference for what that could mean. We've gone from execution to execution to, you guessed it, more execution. Where's the creativity? Until very recently, I assessed myself as someone who was an excellent executor and a lousy creator. Up until that point in my life, I simply didn't have much evidence that I had a creative bone in my body. That's where coding caught me off guard. I assumed from the outside that coding was all science and no art, so it lulled me into a false sense of security. If this stuff is just math and logic, then I can do it. It's the creative stuff I'm afraid of, was my attitude. And boy, was I wrong. Partway into learning how to develop software, I realized that coding was as much art as science. And the art was one of my favorite parts of the trade. What on earth was going on here? Due to inexperience with creativity, I assumed I just wasn't a creative person. That self-defeating self-assessment kept me clinging to a job that luckily, or so I thought at the time, didn't require a lot of creativity. Because I'd never experienced what it was like to actually build something, I assumed that it was not something at which I would excel. What I didn't realize was that all I was waiting for was an outlet for the spark of creativity that I'm convinced exists within all people who are driven and intelligent. Once that outlet came along, a new chapter began, whether I wanted it to or not. The closest thing I can relate it to is the feeling of becoming a father. It's scary welcoming your first kid into the world and feeling an upwelling of love that's stronger and different in character than any emotion you've ever felt about anything. To a lesser degree, that's how it felt when I found out that there did exist a form of work that was intrinsically satisfying to me. Suddenly, the status quo was just insufficient. There's an idea I got from Shoe Dog by Phil Knight that stuck with me ever since. He writes, Business is no more about making money than the human body is about making blood. Yes, you need to make this stuff, but only to serve your higher aims. End quote. For me, my old career was about making money. No wonder I didn't feel fulfilled. 
Nowadays, my job's about releasing human capital to its highest and best use, setting up a framework in which that mission can repeatedly and sustainably continue to achieve itself is just best implemented by creating an institution that runs on money the same way a human body runs on blood. One of the most beautiful parts of taking the entrepreneurial plunge is the relinquishment of the assumption of boundaries between functions. In a well-oiled machine, each cog is crafted with precision and then placed in the perfect spot to interact productively with its fellow cogs. In a nascent startup, things are messy. Messy, but honest. Ultimately, a mission-driven organization is one in which each person's function serves a higher purpose. But it's a rare person indeed who's able to bear that in mind appropriately. I'm again reminded of that NASA janitor who told JFK that his job cleaning up was to help put a man on the moon. This corporate delegation of responsibilities is the essence of human economic progress and is thus a feature of the system. This is how we achieve synergy. But it's also a bug in the sense that the only reason that people are divided into different job functions is the limited capacity of one person to do all of them. There's something about an early stage company that is just fundamentally more honest. A solo entrepreneur must by necessity appreciate that his or her job is to make the company enduringly successful at achieving its mission. It's not to grow top line, to boost awareness, to build features, to cut costs, or to acquire talent. Indeed, it entails all of these things, but they're just links in the chain. If one of them fails, the whole mission fails utterly. Entrepreneurship forces us to step back and understand how each role at the company fits in within the context of the whole. With that fixed in mind, it's a lot easier to feel gratitude for the opportunity to do something boring or repetitive when necessary, because it's clear that it's the best use of time toward the overarching goal of achieving the mission. Entrepreneurship forces the entrepreneur to confront an ugly truth. The world's not made of Legos that snap together neatly. It's more like a lump of wet clay that needs to be nudged into place, smoothed over, and occasionally rescued from the scourge of gravity. If your job feels more like Legos than clay, it's likely because, creatively speaking, the low-hanging fruit has already been picked. There's nothing inherently wrong with a Lego job. It's nice to feel things neatly clicking together. But if you feel creatively stifled, or worse, you self-assess based on zero evidence as someone who's just not a creative type, it may be time to get outside and get your hands dirty. The real world is muddy and frustrating and hard, but it's real and it scratches an itch you may not know you even have. It's important to note here that entrepreneurship is not limited to startups or other small businesses. Entrepreneurship is at play whenever we look at our work and feel like owners of the end product. You can work at a 100,000-person company and still scratch the entrepreneurial itch with the right role and style of engaging with your work. There's a nice litmus test for whether you're doing something worthwhile. It involves looking at your current job through the lens of Emerson's sage words when he writes, The reward of a thing well done is to have done it. End quote. If you look at your work honestly, does it make this quote resonate deep within your bones? If it does, congratulations and keep up the good work. If it doesn't, make sure it's at least moving you closer to a place in your life where you can answer this question affirmatively. Life's too short to spend it as a cog. Bide your time, but when your time comes, for goodness sake, get out there and build.